Welcome to the Edge Talk Radio Network, your weekly source for information, empowerment, and connection. The Edge Magazine and its advertisers bring you inspired interviews and conversation on learning and healing, on our sacred journey, and on topics that expand beyond time and space. Now, welcome today's host. I'm your host, Elise Markwam Johns, and I'd like to welcome you to the September 4th, 2018 edition of Learning Well on Edge Blog Talk Radio. We hope you had a wonderful Labor Day holiday, and we're delighted you can join us this evening for what I think you'll find to be a really fascinating conversation about cutting-edge medical advances. Our Learning Well program, as many of you know, is sponsored by the Integrative Health Education Center at Normandale Community College in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we'd like to take this opportunity to thank them for their continuing sponsorship. Tonight's guest is Dr. Robin Smith, who is the co-author of Cells Are the New Cure, and Dr. Smith will share with us some of the revolutionary new science, which is providing cures that were considered science fiction just five years ago, promising treatments now in more than 35,000 clinical trials could have dramatic impacts on cancer, autoimmune diseases, organ replacements, heart disease, and even aging itself. Dr. Smith will be joining us in just a few moments to share some of this fascinating information with us. I want to let you know, though, that our monthly Learning Well programs would not be possible without the sponsorship of Normandale Community College's Integrative Health Education Center. So I'd like to take just a few moments to acquaint you with several of their upcoming classes that might be of particular interest to you. Healing Touch Course 1, Foundations of Healing Touch, will be offered on Friday, September 7th from 8 to 5.30 and Saturday, September 8th from 8 to 4 p.m. Students will learn a variety of healing touch techniques and self-care through lecture and gentle heart-centered energy experiential activities. This class is open to anyone who desires to experience energy therapy and help others. A wild plant walk identification for food and medicine class will be held on Tuesday, September 11th from 5 to 7.30 p.m. Class members in this class will learn to identify and appreciate basic edible and medicinal uses of wild plants and shrubs of late summer and early fall. Students will explore the plant life in Normandale's beautiful and expansive natural setting and learn how to utilize them for food and medicine. There will be a basic life support for healthcare providers renewal course, which will be offered on Wednesday, September 19th from 5.30 to 9.30 p.m. This class is designed to provide a wide variety of healthcare professionals the ability to recognize several life-threatening emergencies, provide CPR, use an AED, and relieve choking in a safe, timely, and effective manner. Then there will be a free and fun fall event called Fall into Wellness on Saturday, September 22nd from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Normandale. So grab your wellness gear, join other participants for an event held in conjunction with Normandale's 50th anniversary celebration. Attendees will have the opportunity to meet other like-minded and like-hearted people, sample some of Normandale's most popular wellness programs, and win cool door prizes as well. So join us. And in a class titled Discover the Wisdom of Your Body, participants will get a taste of interplay in this introductory workshop on Tuesday, September 25th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Class members will learn and play with basic forms involving movement, sound, and words, and integration of body, mind, heart, and spirit just naturally occurs when the body leads and personal and professional lives can transform as we effort less and play more. If you'd like more information on any of these classes or other classes offered through the Integrative Health Education Center at Normandale, please simply call 952-358-8343 or you can simply email Normandale Continuing Education at www.normandale.edu forward slash capital C, capital E, forward slash classes. 
Well, now, without further ado, I'm very pleased to welcome this evening's guest, Dr. Robin Smith, Chairman and President of the STEM for Life Foundation. Dr. Smith is recognized as a global thought leader, top medical expert, and entrepreneur in one of the fastest-growing segments of modern-day medicine, cell therapy research. First, as a founder and CEO of NeoStem, a leading developer of cell therapy, and now as a visionary behind the STEM for Life Foundation, Dr. Smith has been able to combine her deep passion for science, entrepreneurism, and philanthropy. In the process, she's become a key leader in advancing regenerative medicine and transforming the medical industry. The driving factor behind Dr. Smith's relentless efforts to raise global awareness about regenerative medicine is to give hope for a better quality of life and longer life for so many people living with serious diseases. While with NeoStem, Dr. Smith pioneered the company's innovative business model, combining proprietary cell therapy development and manufacturing. She raised $225 million, completed six acquisitions and one divestiture, while the company won an array of industry awards, including being ranked number 11 nationally on Deloitte Technology Fast 500. Now, as founder, chairman of the board, and president of the STEM for Life Acura Foundation. Her work has led to a historic first-of-its-kind partnership with the Vatican, which has raised millions of dollars to educate the world on the progress of regenerative medicine and catalyze the development and distribution of cell therapies. Dr. Smith writes regularly for the Huffington Post and has co-authored two books, The Healing Cell, How the Greatest Revolution in Medical History is Coming is changing your life, and the book we'll be discussing this evening, Cells Are the New Cure. She also sits on multiple public, private, and not-for-profit boards. Dr. Smith earned her MD from Yale University and her MBA from the Wharton School of Business. Dr. Smith, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You, know, you received your MD from Yale and your MBA from the Wharton School of Business. I'm just curious if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners, why did you decide to pursue an MBA and what's been the path which has led you to focus on stem cells? Sure. So, you know, you when you learn a lot about medicine, about people helping people, but there's a business principles that very often um, don't come into play and obviously Healthcare needs to be affordable, scalable. And so I, I received my MBA and, and got very excited about building um, sort of a platform technology that can really help people um, not just treat symptoms, but actually look for cures. And, and it was very exciting and, and really opened a, a whole world out there of, of different research and really translational research that our hope is to get to patients uh, as quickly as possible. And how did you begin to focus on stem cells? How did that come into play? Yeah, well, you know, I think at that time we heard a lot of discussion about stem cells. And, you know, I remember the commercials with um, Michael J. Fox talking about embryonic stem cells and and the potential for treating, you know, his Parkinson's disease. But what I realized is there was so much going on in in stem cells. People didn't really understand it. It just got confused with embryonic versus adult, what's the difference, um, the ethical implications, um, safety implications, and there was just a lot of confusion as to what this was all about. So I realized that, you know, it was very important that we help educate people on what adult stem cell therapy is, where do you get the stem cells, how do you administer them. You know, when you have a problem, where do you go to look for uh, therapies, clinical trials that are, um, you know, done in a safe way? Um, And just there's a whole new emergence of regenerative medicine and how do you navigate through this sort of confusing technology? And we've just seen an incredible amount of progress over the last 15 years. And for those of us who didn't take the medical route, and perhaps yep. bi- biology class was 
too many years ago. <laughs> Could you talk yeah. us through the life cycle of a cell and just sort of it's, refresh us yeah. in that whole how it's does very it all work? Confusing. Yeah, so I'll give you Stem Cell 101 very quickly. Great. So when the egg and the sperm come together um, and it's a fertilized egg, that divides and you get two cells. Two become four, four become 16. And at that point is truly an embryonic stem cell. You can clone, you can you can take those cells, 16, it's called a blastocyst, and you can make lots of little individuals if, if you could, you know, clone those cells out. But what happens in nature is those 16 divide again and again and again, and it becomes, with our DNA, who we are, and the cells become more and more specialized from that blastocyst stage to become our organs. And so the cells continue to divide and divide and become differentiated into whatever organ, whether it's a hair or an eye or, um, you know, circulating um, it in your, you know, from your bone marrow in your blood. And, and they become more and more specialized until the cells become what they're going to be when they're mature. And eventually you have cell death and it, it happens all over again. And there are these stem cells, these early cells, that stay dormant, and they're the cells that come and repair our damaged tissue as we sustain injury or errors in that duplication process because mistakes happen. And so your body recognizes mistakes as being a mistake, and those cells get destroyed. And how do our immune systems, our immune system cells locate and attack foreign or diseased entities? How does that process work? So it's really interesting. So we have cells of our immune system, not necessarily stem cells. It could be T cells. We have B cells. Uh, we have natural killer cells. So we have lots of different cells in the immune system, and they're all there to protect us against foreign um, bodies. It could be a virus. It could be bacterial. It could be, um, you know, some something in the system where it's it's not normal. And what we've learned is that we can take these cells and actually do things to them to make them better um, targeters of things like cancer. And that's the new field of immuno-oncology and immunotherapy, where we've learned how to utilize our immune system to make more of those cells that will destroy and to be better targets. You know, you alluded to this earlier, but I think most of us do remember the debate about the use of embryonic stem cells. But these are these stem cells necessary to use, or has it been shown that adult stem cells can be used in stem cell therapy? So when I started, there was less than 400 clinical trials and uh, of adult stem cells and, and very few embryonic. And as things have progressed now, there's over 4,500 adult stem cell trials, over 30,000 cell therapy trials, and about 36 or 34 um, embryonic stem cell trials. So really the progress has been made using adult stem cells. And people get confused of what adult stem cells mean. It, Cells that come from the umbilical cord of the placenta are considered adult stem cells. Um, cells that come from your fat, from your bone marrow, um, are considered adult stem cells. So there's many sources of these cells. We even have stem cells in our teeth um, that, that people are looking at using um, for different therapeutic uh, applications. So it's really the embryonic stem cell is that cell in that blastocyst that I described at, at, when those cells divide, it's about day four. And unfortunately, if you had to use that cell, you would um, destroy the fetus. And that's really what the ethical, um, you know, issue is, is, is you're sort of choosing, uh, you know, sort of the life, who lives and who dies. But really, those cells are so early, they can become many different cell types, and even teratoma formations. They're so early, it's hard to tell them what to become, and they become lots of different tissues, and it can even be cancer tissues. So the progress is really with the adult stem cells. So now I'm assuming you mentioned even stem cells in our teeth, which is amazing. I don't think mm -hmm. any of us would assume that. But I'm assuming if those kinds of stem cells were harvested, then they could only be used to help in that part of the body. Is, is that correct? Am I understanding that correctly? Not, not exactly. So that's what's so interesting is, is in your bone marrow and, and different parts of your body, you have these cells. 
where what they can become is maybe different. So, for example, if you have more in the teeth and the bone marrow, maybe you have more mesenchymal cells. So that means that those are cells that are a little more mature. They're not the early stem cell that can become any tissue type. They've already become um, more mature that they know they're going to be either muscle or skin or, you know, one of the remnants of what um, the mesenchymal cells become. There are other cells that are more um, that you would get, say, in your bone marrow, while there are mesenchymal cells as well, those are cells that um, you can give more towards like creating arteries and vessels for um, the heart. So there's all different types of cells, and, and they can become um, you know, different subtypes of tissues in, in the body. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about your book was not only is it incredibly interesting medical information and and, and quite detailed, uh, but in layperson's terms. So it is possible for those of us who, you know, weren't science majors to follow. But you also share some wonderful stories of patients that you um, have included. Um, and I'm, I, I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners how some stem cells are being used right now to help patients and with various illnesses and, and maybe a, a story related to a patient that, that uh, you know has has gone through a particular health crisis where stem cells have helped. Yeah, so there's one woman who really is, she's an incredible girl, and she was early 20s. And, um, you know, she went to school one day and she couldn't walk. She couldn't walk her dog, and she just was losing all of her her function. And she ended up um, with with, um, multiple sclerosis, and um, ended up getting stem cell therapies from uh, Dr. Bird at Northwestern. And what they do is they, with an autoimmune disorder, which affects so many people, it's lupus, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, there's many autoimmune disorders. And what happens is your cells start attacking the good tissue. So your instead of, as you said, how does it recognize the bad things that it needs to destroy? These actually, you start killing good tissue. So she went through a course of uh, a, a chemotherapy to destroy those cells and then received a bone marrow transplant um, in, in the, it wasn't, um, it was from her bone marrow. So her cells were harvested. She had the chemotherapy and they were put back into her and she was in remission so far. I think it's been over 14 years and she's totally healed. So, you know, is it remission forever? We don't know, but she, we were able to, or Dr. Burt was able to stop the autoimmunity, the killing of the good cells, and reset her immune system. And we're seeing an incredible lot of progress in different autoimmune disorders, MS and lupus, um, Sjogren's disease, all kinds of different autoimmune diseases. Um, at, at our last conference that we had, Jack Nicholas was there talking about using stem cells to treat his back and his shoulder for um, torn muscles and, and torn cartilage and, and tendons and things that he had from, you know, playing golf for um, all these years of being such an incredible golfer. And, and we're seeing more and more cells coming from different parts of the body, utilizing those stem cells and, and putting them back where they're needed. So in that example, it's coming from fat and putting it back into the knee or the disc of the back or the shoulder where some people have a rotator cuff injury. So it's not just, um, you know, the weekend warriors, it can be autoimmune disorders where people are very sick. We've seen individuals who have had uh, heart problems, heart uh, end-stage heart disease, where the muscle of their heart wall um, stops to function and can't pump enough for people to... Um, sort of live a normal life. They can't walk up a flight of stairs, walk up. And um, even if you could fix the arteries that are clogged, you now have damaged heart muscle, which doesn't um, 
repair itself. So there are studies now in clinical trials where people are using stem cells to uh, inject them into that heart muscle to restore the function of the muscle and, and repair the damage. Interesting. I wonder if there's any work being done with atrial fibrillation, which has become a huge issue for so many older people. Have you heard of any instances of that You know, so, so it's interesting. So I was talking to Dr. Alt, who actually is uh, a German uh, inventor, and he had, I think he has some, one of the most patent portfolios in cardiac, but his love of the last, you know, 15, 20 years is stem cells. And he was talking about repairing the nodes so that you can treat um, arrhythmias using stem cells. So while there is nothing yet, I think that is an area where um, there's a real potential and people are excited of, of determining, um, you know, the cells how many, when do you put them in to the person, and how do you administer it? And that's what all of these clinical trials are about, is what are the best sources of cells for that particular illness, and how do you administer them, and how many cells do you administer, and when, and is one treatment enough, or do you need multiple? And that's what all of this is about, is making it a standardized treatment and having protocols where no matter where you go for treatment, you would get that protocol for that illness. Interesting. I want to go back to your mention of Jack Nicklaus talking at the conference. So in a situation like that, are there clinics that someone like you and I could go to or our listeners where they can have that kind of injection done? Or is that the kind of thing where he had to go to Europe at this point to have that kind of so stem when cell he, help? Yes. Exactly. So when he had it done, he did go to Europe. And, and you know, there, the regulations are different in different um, parts of the world. There are clinical trials that are happening in the United States as well. So, you know, there's a there's sort of people call and say, well, how do we, how do you know, right? How do you, mm-hmm. before, it, you know, it's expensive and it's a little scary to go out of the country and, and how do you know? So, you know, I think what we always do is tell people first to go to the NIH website, which is the clinicaltrial.gov website and put in your ailment and see if there are stem cell trials here in the United States and what's available to you. There are places that, um, you know, follow the regulatory paradigm of that country and are treating patients. And um, there's one in Germany, there's one in the Bahamas, Okeanos, there's um, one in Mexico. So, you know, there are people who have treated thousands of patients. And, you know, our goal is to have um, the the clinics that really want to do good work and, and believe in their work, willing to follow the patients, the outcomes, and maybe even in the future there's a registry that you can actually look at the performance of patients who have received the cells. And, and truly that will be important as the science emerges. Which is so interesting because I was just astounded to read that there are over 570 clinics in the U.S. offering costly stem cell treatments for a variety of health challenges. And at least my interpretation of a lot of what you were talking about in the book is at this point, at least, it would be more beneficial for people to look at clinical trials than necessarily taking a chance on some of these clinics. Is it, would that be an accurate statement? Am I being too you know, I, blunt? <laughs> I, you know, I think it depends, right? Sometimes, unfortunately, clinical development takes a lot of time. And, you know, some people can't wait, right? You know, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. with rare diseases or chronic illnesses or certain cancers or autoimmunity, you're not going to survive until these become approved therapies in those particular areas. So, the right to try is is a very interesting new legislation which gives people the ability um you know to try these things and and you know even if they're not approved as mainstream to be able to try a a treatment um that may be helpful you know what i always tell people who don't want to wait and want to go ask for references you know don't just believe what's on the internet Say, you know, I have Parkinson's, and I'd love to talk to a couple of patients who have been treated for Parkinson's disease. You know, are there a few 
who will. And what I always find is, for the most part, patients who are improved, healed, um, or even not, want to share and want to help others and are willing to spend the time to have other people who are suffering, you know, ask the questions. And, and you know, I, so I think that's one way that if you really do want to go, it, it's important to check references. Sure. Going back to the patient you mentioned, the young woman with MS, does that mean that people who have suffered for for years from MS, I mean, does it, I'm assuming there, it works differently. This was a young woman who had recently been diagnosed. Um, are there places where people who have been diagnosed for quite some years with MS and perhaps the disease has progressed a bit, where they can go and be assured of uh, of safe treatment? Is is it at that point, or or, or yeah? So there are different. You're right. So there are different, you know, technologies that are out there and there are different advancements. And so, you know, you have to find a clinical trial where your symptoms um, or the progression of the disease is consistent with that clinical trial. So, um, you know, we've seen a lot of progress. Um, There are individuals who are looking at using T cells and not just stem cells um, to, you know, impact... um, there are autoimmune disorders. So there's there's a lot of different trials out there, and it's just sort of finding that right one that can have an impact and make a difference. Um, lupus is another one that's, you know, it's, it's quite uh, devastating. And Dr. Smith, it sounds like, from what you said earlier, these trials are going on, on all over the world, but I'm assuming there are quite a few happening in this country. Is that true? Yeah, so there's I think there's about 4500 that are here, you know, on the website. Some are overseas. Um many are multiple trials because our regulatory system is different than in Europe and some of the countries there is different than Japan is different than, you know, China. So all of these therapies are really looked at as drugs, not necessarily therapies. And so these clinical trials are going on. Sometimes they're here and abroad um, trying to get as many patients treated and followed to determine if this can become standard of care. You know, one thing I'm curious about, too, is with all of these clinical trials going on all over the world, is there a network of communication that keeps, for instance, all of the researchers that are involved in MS research sort of plugged into each other so mm-hmm. so they're aware of what's happening. Is that, I'm assuming with technology, that is what's going on, but <laughs> I just wanted to check with you on that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question is how do we start talking more about what's going on and helping each other? And I would say the biggest progress I've seen in cancer is what they learn from the immunologists. It's sort of immuno-oncology now. It's, it's having your immune system be able to fight those cancer cells. So, you know, we see different things. We see different registries. Definitely there are groups, um, you know, sort of MS Society. There, there's a lot of resources now with the Internet to help people, um, you know, seek treatment or care and, and look for providers. There's also the clinical trial you know, the sort of NIH website, and those are all clinical trials that have been filed with the FDA and approved to move forward. So that's always a great site to look at um, and always recommend people, uh, you know, seeing there what's what's available. And, you know, it could be anything from gene therapy trials to um, stem cell trials to other cell therapy trials. So it's not just stem cells. There's a really a, a world of progress that we're seeing. There's about 30,000 in, in cell therapy trials. Wow. <laughs> it's a lot. It's um, a lot. You've, so, been, you've mentioned that people can be treated with their own stem cells. Now, I'm assuming this avoids the huge problem of rejection. Is that true? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. Stem cells work in different ways. There are certain things where stem cells stick around and need to be part of the solution. There's others where the stem cells come in and they create a sort of an environment of healing and the stem cells then go away. So there you know, if you look at um cancer, for example, 
and you have chemotherapy, you destroy your immune system. And if you need a bone marrow transplant, you can't take your own cells at that point because you already have had the cancer. So you need a match, and the match can be from another adult. It can be from umbilical cord, and those cells then get put into you and make you a new immune system. Um, there's others that, um, you know, the cells... Um, are, are, it depends what they're doing, whether they get engrafted or not. So, for example, you could take tissue, um, and it's called, um, and you put them on a scaffold, and people are making organs like bladders, and hopefully the skills will become greater and greater that you could make functional organs like livers and lungs and, and, and other organs that are out there. And then those you'd want to have yourself so you don't reject those organs. Um, there's people studying cell, stem cells that come from the placenta and the umbilical cord. And remember, your blood between the mommy and the baby goes back and forth, and they don't reject each other. So there's a belief that these cells are incredibly immunoprivileged and that they may be okay to treat individuals where those cells are able to have an impact and don't get rejected. So, it, again, it, these are many different diseases and different ways of handling them, and there are different cell types that are probably better for certain diseases than others, and some will be better to have your own, and some probably will be better not to have your own, um, and more of an off-the-shelf product that's available, you know, to you in a timely fashion. Oh, so interesting. Um, are there Are these experimental treatments or... Are there actual treatments that are regarded as standard treatment for some illnesses? In other words, is, have, hasn't stem cell transplantation been going on for a long time with leukemia? For, for 40 years, or? absolutely. So okay. there, a bone marrow transplant is standard. What's And you alluded to this a little bit earlier. When you take stem cells from a bone marrow from a person like a donor and you give it to someone for a new immune system, it's coming from one place and going to the same place in another individual. So those are all governed under what's... um, what's considered, a, you know, transplant centers. So those really aren't drugs. They're not classified as drugs. Using these cells and either manipulating them, changing them, expanding them, making more of them, or putting them somewhere that they didn't come from is now really considered more of a drug, and it has to go through the clinical trials and the work to show safety. And that's what's mm-hmm. taking a little bit longer. One of the things that absolutely amazed me were the number of different health issues that might eventually be treated with stem cells. One of the ones that surprised me a lot was arthritis. <laughs> Is this a treatment mm-hmm. generally available now? So there are many clinical trials. There are individuals that are using um, plasma-rich protein, the PRP. Um, There are areas where you can use your own stem cells. Um, You know, things are changing a little in the regulatory environment, um, but I would say they're not really standard of care outside of certain blood diseases and disorders. Not yet. Okay. And the other thing that that was fascinating because I guess I'm at a point in my life where I have a lot of friends who are dealing with knee and hip replacements, mm-hmm. some of which do not go terribly smoothly. It's a it's a difficult process for many people. And I'm understanding that soon there could be stem cells used regularly for knee, hip, and back pain. There are many, you know, as the regulations are changing and they're being more um, open to cells that are your own because you don't have to worry about, as you said, rejection or disease of your own cells. Um, There are more and more people that are using stem cells, um, you know, to treat those areas where you could regrow cartilage as opposed to having a foreign um, body like a hip, you know, a new joint or knee replacement. So I think the more you can repair the tissue that you have, 
you know, it's better. And then, obviously, if necessary, then you could get a mechanical joint. And could you share, this is also fascinating, that there are people who have had strokes or who have, had, who have Alzheimer's that might eventually be helped by some of the stem cell research that's been going mm-hmm. on now. Could you talk a little bit about those two areas? Yeah, so we've seen some incredible work on um you know, even cerebral palsy and autism, but also stroke. And one of the stories in the book was a woman who had a stroke. And um, she she was really severely, I mean, she couldn't walk, and her whole half of side of her body really was, was unable to um, move anymore. And she was treated in California in one of the clinical trials with stem cells. And, you know, in our book, we tell the story of how then she got married and, you know, had a really full life and, and most of the disability that, you know, she had from her stroke went away. So, again, it's it's a question of where do you get the cells and when in that in that course do you treat a patient? Is it right away? Can it be a chronic stroke? Um, and, and that is what we're still doing on these clinical trials is determining what the right point is to give a person those cells that they have the effect um, to actually restore and repair the tissue that's damaged as well as the um, you know the function of that tissue. So we've seen extraordinary um, results, and I think more and more we'll continue to see you know data using these stem cells to repair the damaged tissue. And there's been so much, so much information in the news in the last five, ten years about the incredible number of uh, people who are going to develop Alzheimer's at some point in their life, usually in their 80s and beyond. Uh, Is there some really important work going on in that area that looks promising? So that's a that's a great question. I haven't seen that much, although there is definitely possibilities of. Um, you know, affecting this, this sort of progression of Alzheimer's and, and how that will be done, whether it will be a gene therapy through the new CRISPR technology and, you know, Cas9, whether it will be, you know, stem cells um, or other cell therapies. I don't know. We're really learning more and more about Alzheimer's. And I think if there's one take-home message is not all diseases that have a name are alike. And the key is to understand what these subsets are to know how best to treat them. So there's a autoimmune component of uh, autism that may be better to treat um, using you know certain cell types. Same with certain cancers. Same with, um, you know, maybe Alzheimer's and autoimmune disorders. And, you know, is it Alzheimer's or, you know, dementia? I, I think we will see more and more how to restore that damaged tissue um, that occurs as we age. You know, this this is a question that occurred to me as I was reading the book, and that is, so <laughs> there's the thought that at some point in the future, when we go to the pharmacy, we might be, getting cells rather than medications to help us. What what does that mean for drug companies? I mean, where are the drug companies figure? Where do they figure in all of this and yeah, the research you know, that's going on? It's, it's so interesting. We're seeing more and more that, you know, drug companies are very focused on their bottom line. And so they can't really afford, or it's not they can't afford it because they have plenty of money to afford it, but to be successful, at, you know, as, as many of these public companies are, they don't want to put a lot of dollars into early research. But when they're seeing promise, they'll buy the companies. So, you know, we've seen um, companies like, um, you know, Celgene bought uh, uh, Bluebird Bio. Juno has a technology for uh, kidney cancer, renal, renal cancer that was bought. You know, more and more we're seeing interest. Um, uh, Pfizer, you know, had some interesting technology in gene therapy. Um, so we're we're seeing more and more interest in um, the technologies. They just want them to be a little farther along. So I don't think they see this as 
necessarily competition to a drug, but more as an additional suite of, of therapies to be part of their offering for those diseases. And, you know, we see a lot of excitement, and obviously they have done a lot of development and and understand how to turn drugs into um you know, successful solutions for individuals, and I think that they will embrace this as it becomes, you know, more clear as to how to how to the, how should they be administered. So I've seen a lot of collaboration and excitement. I have never seen um, sort of a disheartening, you know, approach from large pharma. People feel that the progress may be stunted, you know, by pharma, but I've never seen that. Oh, that's good to hear. One of the other intriguing things I found in your book was you focused in one of the last chapters on philanthropists, individual philanthropists, who were really making a difference in the kind of research uh, that's going on. Could you share perhaps one or two stories of <laughs> of that situation? Sure. With yeah. You know, it, as you said, it's so hard. Many people are in silos. They're focused on their research, trying to publish papers. People often forget about the translation, getting it to patients. So we've seen so much interest from individuals. For example, there's a philanthropist from Texas, Dr. Ed Bosarge, who actually has um, helped fund a lot of the different technologies um, on uh, reprogramming stem cells, for example, uh, for aging, how to take an older person's stem cell and make it younger to to be able to, um, you know, help to repair sort of the damaged tissue and uh, focusing on some of the uh, areas like the orthopedic areas that you mentioned. And so they've actually... Um, created a place called Okeanos in in the Bahamas where people can get therapies and they're tracking, uh, you know, patient outcomes and and, um, really are supporting getting these uh, therapies, you know, to patients who are in need. Um, We've seen uh, Sean Parker is a great example. In 2016, he uh, was a huge philanthropist, you know, one of the founders of Facebook and Napster, and he created the Immunotherapy Institute, the Parker Institute, where he helped fund the research in exchange, if you will, for collaboration. So many people were seeing uh, Victoria Jackson, whose daughter has NMO, which is neuromyelitis optica, which is a very rare disease, has put over $50 million into a foundation to get researchers working together so that you can make progress more quickly and you can use the resources more efficiently. So you know, we've seen a lot of interest in whether it's cancers or, you know, rare diseases or regenerative medicine of people wanting to help fund the research. There's not enough funding, um, you know, through NIH. We've seen CIRM, which is um, the California Institute of Regenerative Medicine, um, funding a lot of these therapies, and, and that's more governmental. But it's just critical that we get support for the technologies. I think when when most of us think of stem cell work, as we talked about earlier, the work that's been done with leukemia has been going on for quite some time. Mm-hmm. There are some cancers that simply would not benefit from this kind of therapy. Is that true? Or, or are all cancers possible, um, possible, could possibly have some healing impact from these kinds of therapies? So... Just to separate a little bit, so there's the immuno-oncology, which are different. Those are T cells and NK cells. Those are those other um, cells in your immune system, and some are more... um, are more responsive to those these new immunotherapies that that are people are working on in cancers. I mean, anybody who has a depletion of their bone marrow from chemotherapy could be um, you know could get a bone marrow transplant and have a successful transplant um, so it's there are different types of cancers, whether they're solid tumors or blood tumors and and different therapies uh, for you know that those cancers will be more or less responsive to and and um, some are stem cells and some are are these other cells 
I thought it was interesting because one of the things that you spoke about in the book too was uh, it maybe is sort of old thinking to think of breast cancer or liver cancer, that we shouldn't think of it in terms of one particular area of the body, but rather the type of cancer. Is that is that true? You know, it is. So, you know, unfortunately with cancer, it you know, very often starts in one place and then it goes elsewhere. It's a metastasis. And so, you know, if you can then get those cells of your body to go and attack the cancer cells regardless of where they are, um, that that is an approach. And that's some of these immuno-oncology um, treatments and therapies that are out there. You can um, either get the cancers to be recognized by the cells that destroy, or you can bolster your immune system to attack the cells. There's more of them, like more soldiers, if you will, to go and attack mm-hmm. the cancer cells that are out there. So, you know, sometimes it's um, not so much the, the the type per se, but it's it's the way they'll respond to different treatments. I must confess that it was only about three months ago that I even heard of the term CRISPR. I think Ira Flato mm-hmm. on National Public Radio on his science show <laughs> was talking about it. And it's it's fascinating. Could you talk a little bit about what CRISPR is and, and how it works? Yeah, so <laughs> it's very, very interesting. So we um, it's really transformative gene-based medicines where people are are using this technology to treat patients and what what it is is it's the ability to take a DNA a piece of DNA and fix it either replace what's missing to remove what's not you know correct um and it's actually at the DNA level that you're able to impact those genes. And so there's, you know, many different companies out there that are focused on using the technology for the different diseases where, you know, especially rare diseases where, um, you know, the issue is at the DNA level. And so this gene editing is fascinating, and we think that there's a tremendous opportunity to, you know, impact diseases from, you know, sickle cell to, you know, all kinds of immunodeficiencies. And and um, and, and the question you always need to think about is what are the unintended consequences? So when you fix one thing, do you affect the other? And that's why there's a lot of discussion about this and around this that people are looking at. But it's quite exciting um, as a way to, you know, have the ability to really be able to impact many different diseases just by fixing the damaged DNA. In the research, writing, and publication of a book is a long process, and you've been through it twice. <laughs> and since your book was published in 2017, are there any new studies or breakthroughs that aren't in your book that you are particularly excited about? Yeah, so, you know, I think what you see is more and more progress in the clinical trials. So, um, you know, I think we'll see some really exciting, hopefully exciting results this year in cardiac and uh, disc disease for back. And, um, you know, they're going to start the first trials. I believe it's in sickle cell anemia for um, the genetic editing platform technology that we just spoke about. So, you know, I, I think it's sort of endless, right? I mean, any any person that has a chronic disease or chronic illness or a rare disease or cancer or autoimmunity can be um, helped, hopefully, by cell therapy. And so, you know, it's just uh, it's just a, an exciting time right now to be in in healthcare. This just as you say is such an exciting time, and I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are, Dr. Smith, in terms of so much is happening so quickly, and the breakthroughs just are coming rapidly. Where do you think we'll be ten years from now, for instance, in this whole field? Is is most of the major diseases, do you think, going to be benefiting from some kind of stem cell use? 
You know, I do. I, I really do think there is some that are going to be more difficult, you know, spinal cord injury and areas where it's a very complex functional issue. So it's not just repairing the tissue, but you need that tissue to to make electrical connections and, and things like that. So I think it will take longer, but I do think that there will be ways in the lab, if you will, of making kidneys and lungs and, and organs so that as they become depleted, um, you know, people can get a new organ um, and it, and not necessarily has to be a transplanted organ. So I think we will see more and more progress um, on many of the diseases using this technology. I know I was amazed to read the number of people who are waiting for a kidney transplant, and they're just, so many of them will die because there's simply not enough uh, organs that that can be harvested. So what an incredible breakthrough that would be. It would be. And, and you know, all the people who are suffering from lung diseases where they really can't breathe, IPF, um, interstitial pulmonary fibrosis, where the people's lungs become hard and it's a, that's a genetic um, disease and, um, you know, asthma and COPD. And there are just so many areas where you can't really get a lung transplant very easily and even a heart transplant and and, and all those people with kidney disease from diabetes and, and some of the other um, diseases. So I think the more we can learn not just to treat symptoms but actually cure the diseases and restore the damage, it will really dramatically impact the healthcare system both from a cost perspective as well as outcomes, because if you can heal somebody, you know, you don't have all of those comorbid conditions that have them utilizing a lot of the healthcare dollars. So the more personalized we can get and more efficient and effective, even though those treatments may be a little more expensive in the long run, you should save a lot of money. Sure. One thing I was totally unaware of was those people who have had heart attacks, um, I mean, often you think, you know, they, they survive, they come home, they go through rehabilitation, and sort of that's that. But so many suffer from a stiffening of the heart muscles, which can mm-hmm. cause problems down the road. So even that area of work in the field of, of heart research, I'm assuming, will be very beneficial. Very exciting, and I think we're going to see some data this year. There's a company uh, called Mesoblast that's working in congestive heart failure, and they're in a phase three trial, and hopefully we'll see some data there. So it's very exciting. I mean, you know, it's the the question, you know, again, is where do you get the cells from and how do you administer them? Do you have to inject them in the heart? Can you put them into the arterial supply that would sort of bathe all of the tissues? And, and that's really what people are, are looking at. And we've seen some incredible results. I remember one of my our first conferences, we were um, actually at the Vatican and we brought this gentleman and he had had such bad heart disease. He had more than 20 stents. And I had never even heard of that. I didn't think that was possible. So I actually mm. looked at his medical records because I just didn't believe someone, <laughs> you know, could could have that. And he got into one of the clinical trials where they injected the stem cells into his heart, and he walked up the hill to get to, um, for the audience with the Pope, ahead of me. You know, I'm huffing and puffing, and he's just running up the hill, and we just couldn't believe it. So, you know, some of these things are anecdotal, and it seems, well, it's just one case, but, you know, that's why the book, we really try very hard. They're all really you know, good clinical trials that we're talking about, but we take the patient stories because you really can see the impact that this, these technologies can have on people's lives, especially, you know, the MS lupus type of treatments. I think um, with MS, one of the parts of the treatments is on steroids. And, you know, you, you're bloated, you gain weight, you're there's all kinds of, you can get diabetes, you know, as a, as a side effect from being on steroids for a long time. So sometimes you're treating one thing and you're causing another. And it's just so important if you can really focus on the fundamental problem and, and fix it directly as opposed to, to, you know, treating the symptoms. It's, it's, it's very different. And it's just unbelievably exciting to see 
when this works to see the patients and the impact that it has and, you know, just hope that we get better better at, at you know, figuring out exactly what the right treatment is for, for each individual person to make a difference. I hope the researchers get a chance to meet these patients that they help. Does that ever happen? Well, we always bring the patient and the doctor because we think it's a really important dialogue. How do you find the doctor? You know, what, you know, the, the journey, if you will. So we always feel that that's an important bond. And, you know, in some ways, these are heroes. They're, tri- they're clinical trial, um, you know, they're people who are wanting to be in a clinical trial and, and try something something new. So we, we feel that it's just an incredible uh, opportunity, um, you know, and, and it's important to meet not just the patients but the doctors and understand their research and what problem they saw that they felt that this therapy could solve. Maybe this isn't a fair question to ask, and but I'll, I'll end with this question, and that is, is there any research that's going on right now that you are personally most excited about? Uh, well, there's, there's so many areas, and, you know, I'm just really excited about the potential for, you know, CRISPR and Cas9, what that can do, especially for rare diseases, which affect you know, 80% of children. Um, and, you know, restoring the damaged tissue, not having to get the mechanical um, elements, you know, the heart, the, you know, either a transplant or the knees. And and I, I think the musculoskeletal areas are, are very exciting and we're going to see a lot more progress there. You know, clearly the the heart data people are, are excited about. Back pain is a terrible um, you know, ailment that affects so many people and, you know, if you could use stem cells to actually remove the pain, then you could reduce the opioid addiction and some of the other, you know, things that are out there. So I'm really just really excited about all of this, learning how to use our own body's cells to treat disease and and that we're learning how to affect those cells and and give them to patients to make a difference. So if it's anything like a bone marrow transplant was, you know, 40 years ago and the progress we've made there, I'm, I'm pretty excited about how these cells can be used for all these other parts of the body. I must tell you that I have a close friend who's had two back surgeries and who is in constant pain. And the first thing I did after I started reading your book was let her know about it <laughs> because she's just tried so many things without any help whatsoever. So, you know, she's excited that maybe on the horizon there's some some way she can get some help. And on that note, <laughs> I'm going to thank you so much for being with us this evening. Yes, this it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Well, you've provided so much wonderful hope uh, for all of us for the future. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith. Oh, it's my pleasure, and hopefully people will want to read the book. <laughs> I, I cannot, cannot imagine that they will not, yeah. so thank you Good. so much. Cells in the cure. And be- Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Thank right. you. Before we conclude tonight's program, I'd like to take a moment to let you know about guests on some of our future Learning Well programs, some of the highly respected and nationally prominent guests who will be joining us in the coming months include our guest next month, who is Dr. Douglas Fields, who's a neuroscientist and international authority on brain development, who has written two books, The Other Brain and Why We Snap. In November, on November 6th, as a matter of fact, we'll be talking with Dr. Michael Finkelstein, who's the founder and executive director of the Slow Medicine Foundation, founder and director of a holistic wellness center in New York, and author of Slow Medicine, Hope and Healing for Chronic Illness. And on December 4th, Susanna Meadows, who was unable to be with us a few months ago, will be joining us. She's the author of The Other Side of Impossible, Ordinary People Who Face Daunting Medical Challenges and Refuse to Give Up. And just as a reminder, you can also listen to any of our previous Learning Well programs at your convenience by simply accessing our archive program. So if you wish to explore past conversations with such leaders as Dr. Norman Sheely, Dr. Adam Perlman, or Richard Leiter, you can do so by simply Googling Edge Blog Talk Radio Learning Well Archives. In closing, again, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Robin Smith, and encourage you to read her book, Cells Are the New Cure. I also want to thank 
the Integrative Health Education Center at Normandale Community College for sponsoring our show. Please join us next month on Tuesday, October 2nd for our conversation with Dr. Douglas Seals. And if you enjoy our Learning Well program, we'll encourage you to let at least one other person know about our monthly conversations on Learning Well. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We hope you can join us again on October 2nd. Until then, good evening and stay well. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.